that's always a blessing. And uh, I got there and got back and, and safely, and that's wonderful. Amen. Now, I need another prayer request. I need y'all to pray my ears start working again. Amen. That, that plane ride, I'm driving from now on. Amen. Mark done teased me and said he was going to go with me. So from now on, any trip like that, he has to drive me. All right. So how many of y'all would vote for that? Amen. Amen. All right. Romans chapter 11. How many of you found your spot? Now let's do just a quick, just a quick brief review. I'm not going to read a long time. So y'all can, we're going to read two sentences and then you're going to be able to sit down. So, so don't get all uh, worried up about that. Now, Chapters 9, 10, and 11. Which chapters? All deal with Israel. All, Paul is uh, reinforcing uh, the truth about Israel, what is going on with Israel, what God is doing with Israel now that he has instituted the church and he's building the church. Uh, chapter 9 is Israel's past, their past election. Chapters 10 is their present rejection. Chapters 11, what we're going to deal with tonight is their future restoration, all right? So let's so say that back to me. Chapter 9 deals with their past election. All right, let's try this. I say it and you say it, all right? Chapter 9 deals with their past election. All right, chapter 10 deals with their present rejection. In other words, right now, the nation of Israel as a whole does not believe the Messiah has come. They have rejected Christ. They have rejected the one who came and was born in a manger, who walked 33 and a third years on this earth. Uh, it was crucified on a cross. As a nation, as a nation, uh, they have rejected the Messiah, the present rejection. Now, chapter, chapter 11, what we're going to deal with tonight is Israel's future restoration. Say it with me there. All right. How many of you need a lesson? Maybe you come in here and was so excited to see everybody you forgot to pick up a lesson. Raise your hand real high, and we're going to run like the wind. All right? Run like the wind. Raise your hand real high. There we go. There we go. Raise your hand real high, real high. All right. I think that's everybody. Well, let's look in Romans chapter number 11. Romans 11. We're going to read verse 1, and I'm going to let you sit down, okay? Uh, Romans 11 in verse number 1. I say then, and in other words, for what I said in chapter 9 and what I said in chapter 10, I'm going to say this. Uh, he talked about the, the very last thing he discussed in, in uh, Romans chapter number 10 was Israel's rejection. Their denial of the Messiah, their, their rejection of Christ. Jesus came into his own and his own received him not. And he says this, I say this then, hath God cast away his people? That is the question that we're going to be dealing with all night. Hath God cast away his people? All of chapter 11 is put there to answer that one question. Is God done with Israel? And what does he say? Come on, everybody. What's he say? Father, in Jesus' name, help us, Lord. Help us as we study your word verse by verse. Uh, and, and, and Lord, just give us what we need to learn and grow and develop. And uh, Lord, I'm so excited to, to know what we're going to study tonight. I'm excited to know what we're going to learn tonight. And Lord, I pray that you'll build us. I pray that you'll edify, strengthen us, build our faith, build our understanding. Give us a greater knowledge of you and your plan for your people. And God, I praise you and I thank you because you are worthy. You're wonderful. You're, you're mighty. You're loving. You're kind. You are great, and we thank you for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name we all pray, and all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
That's the question. That's the question. I didn't read a bunch of the chapter because we're going to take it, and as we do, we'll go down the points of our lesson, and then we'll read them as we go, okay? We're going to try to cover the whole chapter and answer the question, is God through with Israel? Jesus came just like God said he would. All through the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament, uh, from Genesis all the way to Malachi, we find God is saying he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Every ritual, every feast, every festival, everything in the tabernacle, everything in the temple, the Old Testament characters that were great types of the Lord Jesus Christ, they were all pointing to a coming Messiah. Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. Well, he came. He came different than they thought he would come, and they rejected him. The Bible says Jesus came into his own, and his own received him not. All right, so here God sent who he promised that he would send, and they rejected him. Now, here's the thing you got to get uh, that's really, you got to keep this in your mind throughout this whole study that, that Paul is dealing primarily with Israel as a nation, not as an individual Jew. Okay? Keep that in your head, keep that in your mind as we go through this. Paul is talking about Israel as a nation. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to flip all the way to the very last page of your notes, and we're going to cover just a few verses that deal with the promise that God gave Abraham, all right? Go to the very last page. You should see at the top Genesis 12. If that's what it says, say amen. All right? We're going to cover some verses that kind of helps you get and kind of helps you understand what we're talking about when we talk about God's promise to Abraham or God's promise to the nation of Israel. This is what God says when he begins. Now, you know, Abraham is the father. Abraham is where it all started. God calls Abraham out, and he says, I'm going to make a great nation of you. There was no nation as of yet, but there would be because God promised to Abraham he was going to start a nation. Here it is. We first see it in Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Now watch what he says. I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Let me, let me tell you this. That still is in effect. The nations that bless Israel, God blesses. The nations that come against Israel and curses Israel, God curses. You do good to Israel, God does good to you. You do bad to Israel, God does bad to you. Period. You can go down through the history of the world, world history, and see that happen over and over and over again. All right, Genesis 18, 18. Seeing then uh, that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. That's Genesis 18. Genesis 22. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abram out of heaven the second time. This was after he offered up his son Isaac and did not withhold him from God. And because he did that and was obedient to God, God says to him, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be because thou hast obeyed my voice. Genesis 26, we, we see a, that now, now we see the promise that was given to Abraham, 
is now being reassured to his son Isaac. And there was a famine in the land. And beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham, and Isaac, which was whose son? Abraham. Uh, Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of the heaven, and I will give unto thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Are you all with me? So you see that promise again reaffirmed. To Isaac, Abraham's son. Now watch this. In Genesis 15, I didn't put this. You can go look up this later. In Genesis 15, God made a blood covenant with Abraham, assuring him of the promises he's already given him. Now what is God saying? What is God saying when he says, I'm going to bless you and, 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 and I'm, all the nations of the earth will be blessed in you. In you. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about all the things that come from the Jewish people. Three things primarily. Three things primarily. This is not in your notes if you want to write this down. It's really important that you know this. Uh, three things that we primarily receive from the Jewish nation and the Jewish people. First, we received our scriptures. The word of God came through the Jewish nation and the Jewish people. Not only the scriptures, but the Savior. The Savior. You can't be an anti-Semite and be a Christian. Because if you're an anti-Semite, you're an anti-Christ. Jesus was a Jew. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Say amen. We received our scriptures from the nation of Israel. We received the Savior from the nation of Israel. And we received salvation from the nation of Israel. Jesus said in John chapter number 4, he said, he said when he's speaking to the woman at the well, he says, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. How is the nations of the earth blessed? Through the scriptures, through the Savior, and through salvation. Are you all with me so far? Now, those promises have been given to the nation of Israel. From, from the time of Abraham all the way to the time of Christ, God's plan primarily worked in and through and about the nation of Israel, okay? Everything was about the nation of Israel. Uh, it, it, it is, uh, I mean, everything that you see, everything that you have is primarily dealing with God dealing with the nation of Israel and the, na the nation of Israel's relationship with God until Jesus came. When Jesus came, they rejected him. They rejected his ministry. They rejected his message. They rejected everything about him. And listen, after the stoning of Stephen, after the stoning of Stephen, God turned from the Jewish nation and sent salvation, and we're going to read about that in just a minute, to the Gentile nation, all right? So now, now God's primary dealing at this moment in time is not primarily with the nation of Israel, but he is now dealing with the church, okay? You got it? That's all background and foundational information going into this study. So if you're ready for the study, say amen. amen. All right, now let's look at this. Let's look at this. Okay, here's the question we're answering. Remember this. Here's the question we're answering. Is God through with Israel? From the time of Abraham, he gave him all the promises. 
He gave him all, the, all those things that he promised, even with David. I put this in, in, in your notes too with that verse, the promise that the prophet Nathan gave to David about David's kingdom, that God would establish it forever. And he's talking about Jesus reigning on the throne of his father David. Amen? And so that promise goes with it too. But now, now Paul is preaching salvation. Paul is not preaching the nation of Israel and the kingdom of Israel. Now he is preaching the church. And on this rock, I will build my church. And you need to get saved by faith. It's not by works. It's not by, it's not by the ceremonies. It's not by the sacrifices. It's by faith in the Savior Jesus Christ. Now he's preaching the church. So they're, they're freaking out. They're saying, what, what, about, what about Israel? Is God done with Israel now? Is God, is God through is the nation of Israel, is it cast aside, cast away, not to be used again? That's the question. And what did Paul say? God. All right. The rest of this chapter goes to defend that statement. All right. Look in verse number, look in verse number one. Verse number one. I say then, hath God cast away his people? Is he through with the nation of Israel? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. All right, look in your notes on page number one. Page number one. Now, remember, you remember what, what I said in, in the very beginning, which I've said a lot, but uh, he is primarily talking about Israel as a nation, not as an individual, okay? Are y'all with me? Does that make sense? You got to understand that. He's primarily talking about God's dealings with Israel as a nation as a whole, all right? Here's, here's number one. A, we see a reality. We see a reality that Paul tries to get us to understand. First, A, write this down. We see proof. He says, is God through with Israel? He says, no, God forbid. And he gives some proof. What proof? He said, me. I am proof that God is not through with Israel. I am an Israelite. I have been redeemed. I have been saved. I have been touched by God. It proves me, God has not cast out all of Israel because I am saved, okay? Now watch what it says. He says, if God cast away his people, then how can the conversion of the Apostle Paul be explained? The fact that his conversion is presented three times in the book of Acts is very significant. Certainly Dr. Luke did not write these chapters and repeat the story just to exalt Paul. No, they were written to show Paul's conversion as an illustration of the future conversion of the nation of Israel. Paul called himself one born out of due time. In 1 Timothy 1.16, he stated that God saved him, that in me Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a, for a, to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. So put B, put the word pattern. He shows us a pattern. Not only proof, he said, look at me, I'm proof that God's not through with Israel. Not only that, but he says, my salvation was a pattern. It was a pattern. And this is a cool deal right here. Maybe y'all already knew all of this, and it was, it was you know, this is second nature, and you all, you know, you, you, uh, this is great. The, the conversion of Paul. Now, Paul didn't get saved like most folks. Y'all with me? It wasn't at the invitation of revival services. Y'all with me? It wasn't after the preaching of a fiery preacher named Peter on the day of Pentecost. He didn't get saved like that. His salvation was a lot different. His salvation was way different than ours. He is on the road to Damascus, and God appears to him. 
Now, if you say God appeared to you, I'd have real doubts about that. Because there's a reason that God did it the way he did with Paul. And I hadn't, I hadn't seen that before until I was getting ready for tonight. And man, this really made sense. Paul says, my conversion was a pattern. So you could see something. God always likes to illustrate stuff, doesn't he? He, he used the life of Joseph to illustrate Jesus. Uh, Joseph is a great type of Christ. Well, now he's using the conversion of Paul to illustrate how the Jewish nation as a whole is going to get saved at, during the tribulation period. You see, uh, he is on the road to Damascus. God appears to him, knocks him down off his, knocks him down, uh, uh, off his ride, blinds him, and he's there. And this is this great traumatic moment. Watch this. Watch this right here. The accounts of Paul's conversion tell very little that parallels our salvation experience today. Certainly, none of us has seen Christ in glory or actually heard him speak from heaven. We neither were blinded by the light of heaven nor thrown to the ground. In that way, or what way then, is Paul's conversion a pattern? It is a picture of how the nation of Israel will be saved when Jesus Christ returns to establish his kingdom on the earth. That's in Revelation 19, by the way. The details of Israel's future restoration and salvation are given in Zechariah 12, uh, verse 10 through chapter 13, verse 1. The nation shall see him as he returns. They will recognize him as their Messiah and repent and receive him. It will be an experience similar to that of Saul of Tarsus when he was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. Now, here's if you go back and look, and I did, I went back and looked up all these verses, and man, it's great. Uh, the nation of Israel has rejected the Messiah. They don't believe, they don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They believe he was an imposter. They believe, you know, that, that he was a fake and a phony, and they killed him. Okay? The nation as a whole rejected him. Well, during the tribulation period, during the tribulation period, when God is restoring things and God is bringing judgment upon this earth, Jesus is going to return in glory. Say amen. He is the white horse rider, not the first white horse rider, but the second white horse rider. The first white horse rider in chapter number five represents, excuse me, chapter number six represents the Antichrist, but the second white horse rider in chapter number 19 represents the Lord, the King of glory. And he's going to come and establish his kingdom here on this earth. But right now, the nation of Israel is blinded. They're blinded. There is a veil over their eyes. There's scales over their eyes. And they don't believe he was who he said he was. But go back and read Zechariah. Go back and read some of these other uh, verses that I gave you there. And you'll find out that the Bible says when they see him, they're going to recognize him. They're going to recognize Are y'all with me? They're going to recognize him. And they're going to say, what are these wounds in your hands? And he's going to say, these are the wounds that I received in the house of my friends. And he's going to mourn. Listen, the nation of Israel is going to mourn because they're going to know. And they're going to, they're going to recognize him and they're going to recognize what they did to him. The nation as a whole. And guess what? This is a cool illustration too. We see this illustrated in the life of Joseph. How many of y'all remember when, the, when Joseph's brothers came to him and they didn't know who he was? They had sold him into slavery. They had betrayed him. They had done him wrong. And now he is on the throne. Now he is king. Now are y'all with me tonight? And here he is and the, and, and the brothers are there. And he reveals himself to them and says, I am Joseph. I 
I am your brother. And they realize who he is and they realize what they did to him. Are y'all with me? And all that is is an illustration, a vivid illustration and picture of what it's going to be like when Jesus comes again and Israel's going to be restored. Say amen. That's good stuff, isn't it? Now watch this, watch this. This picture of Paul getting saved, this picture of Paul's conversion is an illustration of that. Paul said, God saved me that way as a pattern for you to see how God is going to restore and save Israel in the future, okay? Now, see, I want you to see this. The reality that Paul is trying to teach us, we see the proof, we see the pattern. Then I want you to see the prophet. The prophet, he discusses Elijah. Y'all remember? Y'all remember when Elijah was on Mount Carmel? And he called fire down from glory. Y'all remember? And, uh, and, 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 and man, they had this mass revival. And, and they said, whoa, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. And, and they killed the 450 prophets of Baal. They killed the 400 prophets of the grove. And, uh, and, and, and he runs to uh, the palace because he thinks Ahab's going to be right with God now. And Jezebel, she, you know, y'all know the story. Well, he goes into a depression because she says, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to do to you just like you did to my prophets. And he gets sideways with God. And this is what he says to God. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. See? Watch what he says. Look in verse number look in verse number 2. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. What ye not what the scripture saith of Elijah? Which is talking about Elijah. How he maketh intercession to God against Israel. He was praying to God. Lord, they have killed thy prophets, and they dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what was the answer that God gave to him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then, at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. In other words, Paul goes back and he uses this, the, the illustration of Elijah when he got upset and he felt like he was the only one serving God. Everybody else, is, everybody else is wrong. Everybody else has gone against you. I'm the only one left. But God had to remind him there was 7,000 that still did not bow down. God will always have a remnant. God will always have a remnant. And so what Paul is teaching right here is that no matter what it looks like, no matter how many of the, the nation of Israel as a whole has rejected Christ, there is a remnant that has accepted him. Say amen. All right? Now, watch this. Israel is God's elect nation. He foreknew them. He chose them. They are his. The fact that most of the nation has rejected Christ is no proof that God is finished with his people. In his day, Elijah thought, now, now, now remember, let's think about this. Let's think about this. On the day of Pentecost, thousands of people were getting saved. Thousands of Jewish people, okay? And that's why you got to understand, when, when we say the nation of Israel, there's still a certain segment, there's still a certain group uh, that have, have believed in Christ, and they have been redeemed and been converted, but the nation as a whole, all right? Are y'all with me so far? Okay, now watch. Now watch. Uh, in his day, Elijah thought that the nation had totally departed from God, but Elijah discovered that there was yet a remnant of true believers. He thought he was the only faithful Jew left and discovered there were 7,000 more. Paul referred to this remnant in Romans 9, 27, which he quotes Isaiah chapter 10, verse 22, 
And at no time, at no time has the nation of Israel been true to the Lord, the entire nation as a whole. No time. God makes a distinction between Abraham's natural children and his spiritual children. The fact that the Jews shared in the covenant by being circumcised did not guarantee their salvation. Like Abraham, they had to believe God in order to receive his righteousness. Now, what does that mean? It means this. You remember when Jesus was always having problems with the Pharisees? And they were so proud of their heritage. And they said, we be of our father Abraham. And you know what Jesus basically said to them? You might be physically, but you ain't spiritually. In other words, you might be of his flesh and blood but you are not of his spiritual inheritance. In other words, you don't believe in God like Abraham did. There's a big difference. You might claim him as your physical father, but he's not your spiritual father. And there is a difference. There is a difference because uh, those that have believed took part of Abraham's spiritual heritage, and those that did not believe and rejected were cut off. And we'll, we'll, This is the olive tree we'll talk about in just a second. All right, if a remnant had been saved, thus proving that God was not through with his people, then what happened to the rest of the nation? The Bible says they have been blinded. This was the result of their resisting the truth. Now let's go to the word. Let's go to the word and read it. He said in verse 5, there's a remnant. How did, how, how did this remnant become part of, of the spiritual heritage of Abraham. It's by faith. If by grace, verse 6, and if by grace, then is it no more of works? Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Others, otherwise, work is no more work. What does that mean? All right, Abraham believed God. And the Bible says it was counted unto him for righteousness. Excuse me, Abraham's righteousness did not come from his behavior. It came from his belief. You with me? The nation of Israel as a whole, they tried to have confidence in their behavior and in their good deeds and in their works, but they didn't believe in the God that Abraham believed in. And what Paul is trying to teach them, it's not about your works, it's about your faith. You become a part of the, the, the heritage of Abraham by your faith, not your works. Does that make sense? Say amen. All right, now, verse 7, what then? What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, or that remnant, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear, unto this day. And David saith, and, this, and now he's quoting, now Paul is quoting Psalm 69, 22. David saith, let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened, that they may not see, and bow down their back always. Now let's talk about what David says. David saith, let their table be made a snare. A table was always a representation of blessing. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine. It was always a representation of blessing. And what David is saying, if they reject God, then let the blessings turn into a snare. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. 
the nation of Israel was blessed with the ceremony. They were blessed with all the tabernacle worship and all the temple worship because that is what should have pointed them to Christ, but it became a snare to them. What should have been redemption became religion, and they worshiped their religion more than they trusted the Redeemer. Do you see what's happening? And and listen, they were not blinded. God didn't do it because he just chose to do it. They did it to themselves by rejecting truth. Do you realize that God's going to deal with you for a certain period of time? And if you keep saying no and you keep rejecting him, he's going to withdraw that. And you're going to remain in a state of denial and unbelief. And basically in a state of blindness because of your refusal to trust him. The Bible says that, that God will not always strive with man. He, and that was in, it, with uh, the, the time of Noah. God's not always. And by the way, what that means is if God's dealing with you to get saved, you better get saved. Because that's not always going to be there. If God is dealing with you about something, you need to make it right. You need to deal with it. Because you don't want God to withdraw that from you because then you will be left in a state of blindness. They have rejected the truth. Look what it says. Look what it says in verse number, uh, uh, or verse number, the last paragraph. They had been blinded, and this was the result of their resisting the truth. Every day that Jesus was on this earth, he tried to tell them the truth, but they resisted it and rejected it, and because of that, they were in blindness. Paul made it clear that the hardening of Israel is neither total nor final. And this is proof that God has a future for the nation. Hardness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. The existence of the believing Jewish remnant today, as in Elijah's day, is evidence that God still has a plan for his people. All right? Now let's read read just a couple uh, verses here. Uh, Now remember, remember, this blindness is two things. This blindness that the nation of Israel has right now, blindness of who the Messiah truly was, of who Jesus really was, it is temporary. Say it with me. It is. And and listen, it is going to be to a time, a certain time. It's only temporary, and there's going to come a time when it will be over because Jesus is going to reveal himself. He's going to unveil and reveal himself to mankind and, and they're going to believe in who he is, all right? It is temporary. It is not final, all right? Now, let's look at this. Number two, in verse number 11, in verse number 11, right now they're darkened. Right now they're, they're blinded. They don't, they don't believe that Jesus was who he, who he said he was. Now he begins to give reasoning of what God's doing with that. What did God do with the rejection of the nation of Israel? Verse number 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now here's what something you got to do. Here's something you got to do in that verse. There's two words that's the same English word, fall. But it's two different Greek words. Okay? It's two different Greek words. Now let me, let me read it. Let me read it like it would be read in the Greek. If you were were reading it in the original language, this is what it would say. This is what it would say. 
have they erred or failed, have they stumbled that they should fall or be fallen beyond recovery? It's the Greek word pipto. Pipto. In other words, has their failure, has their mistake, has their error caused them to fall to the point of no recovery? Does that make sense? The next word, the next word fall. But rather through their fall, in other words, what there, and this is the word, this is the word parapatoma. Parapatoma, which means their error. Their error, the, in verse 11, that through their error or their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. In other words, this is basically what it's saying. Did their rejection of Christ cause them to be cast away forever? And it says no. It simply made it possible for salvation to come to the Gentiles. That's what this verse is saying. God has not cast them out forever or without recovery. So does that make sense before we go on? Okay. So what happened? What happened? A, write this down. There has been a program adjustment. God had a plan. God had a program for the nation of Israel. They rejected it, and they wouldn't follow it, and they wouldn't be obedient. So he adjusted the program. I'm glad when man will not let God rule, God can overrule. And I'm glad our failure will not keep God's plan from coming to pass. Amen. Now, if you've ever messed up and you ever failed, that will bless your heart right there. I'm glad that God worketh all things for my good. Amen. God takes the good and God takes the bad. God takes the happy and God takes the sad. And God brings my mistakes with my successes and he brings it all together for my good. That's how good God is. Listen, there is a, there is a program adjustment. Verses 11 through 15 deals with what God does. He begins to change things up. They are not cast away. Write this above. Write this above. I did it right here, like above my notes right here. Write it above right here, and you can circle it or however it makes it stand out to you. Not cast away. This is what I put. Not cast away. I put temporarily set aside. Now, what are we dealing with? Israel as a nation, not an individual, as a nation. In other words, God, God has not cast away the nation of Israel as a whole. He has temporarily done what? Say it with me. He has temporarily. All right. When did this take place? When did this take place? Look in verse number, verse number 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall or be done away with completely? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch that I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, in other words, if all the rest of the world is going to get saved because God set them aside, uh, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? All right? 
Now, and basically, if you want to put this there, he's saying if you think it's good now, wait till they're restored when Jesus comes back. It's really going to be good. Now watch. When the Jews rejected the gospel, when the Jews rejected the gospel, this is all in the book of Acts. Read it in the book of Acts. It's a great read. God sent it to the Gentiles, and they believed and were saved. Three tragedies occurred in Israel. The nation fell, they were lost or diminished, and was cast away. None of these words suggest a final judgment on Israel. Now, remember before we started the study, what we said we was answering is God through with Israel. None of these words say that. None of these words say that. They simply mean set aside. All right? The amazing thing is that through Israel's fall, salvation came to the Gentiles. God promised that the Gentiles would be saved, and he kept his promise. Will he not also keep his promise to the Jews? Does this mean that God has abandoned his kingdom program for Israel? Of course not. Israel is merely set aside until the times come, or the time comes for God's plan for Israel to be fulfilled. There is a future for Israel. Paul calls it their fullness in Romans 11:12, and they're receiving in Romans 11:15. Today, Israel is fallen spiritually, but when Christ returns, the nation will rise again. Today, Israel is cast away from God, but one day they shall be received again. God will never break his covenant with his people, and he has promised to restore them. Say amen. So A, there is a program adjustment, then B, write this down. There is a picture application. See, there's always, always illustrations that he uses to try to illustrate his point. And now he begins to use an illustration of the olive tree. The olive tree. The olive tree represents Israel, okay? Abraham being the root. God calls Abraham. And this is the spiritual nation. You've got to get that. This is talking about the spiritual heritage and nation of Abraham and the nation of Israel. All right? If you if you, you get that, say amen. If you don't, stand by. It'll click in a minute. This is the beginning. All right? Now watch what he says. We're in verse number uh we're in verse number 16. There's two illustrations that he uses. First of 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 the dough and then of the olive tree, all right? In verse 16, for if the first fruit be holy, which is in representation of Abraham, for if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, who's the root? Abraham. God accepted Abraham. All right. If the root be holy, so are the branches. Now, here's the deal. Let's look at the illustration. The reference here is to numbers in the lump of the dough, the lump of dough. The reference here is to numbers 15, 17. The first part of the dough was to be offered up to God as a symbol that the entire lump belonged to him. The basic idea is that when God accepts the part, he sanctifies the whole. Now, applying this to the history of Israel, we understand Paul's argument. God accepted the founder of the nation, which was Abraham, and in so doing, set apart his descendants as well. God also accepted the other patriarchs, Isaac and Jacob, in spite of their sins and failings. This means that God must accept the rest of the lump, the nation of Israel. All right? Now, that's the lump. 
Now let's talk about the tree. Let's talk about the tree and the olive branches that are grafted in. Verses number, uh, verses number 17. And if some of the branches be broken off, how many of them? Some. Some. If some of the branches be broken off, that means they, those are the unbelievers, the unbelieving Jewish people. Being a wild olive tree, work, grab, thou being a wild, uh, and that's talking about the Gentiles, all right? Does everybody understand that? The wild olive tree is in representation of the Gentile people. Being a wild olive tree, work grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, or the spiritual blessings of. Now, how many of y'all, how many of y'all have heard of people grafting trees? How many of y'all have no idea when I say grafting trees what I'm talking about? Be honest, because there's other people. Raise your hand. What they would do is take a good fruit tree, and they would take that branch, and I don't know exactly how they do it, but it's a cool way that they do it because you can get several different fruit out of one trunk. And they would come in, and they would cut into the side of that tree and graft it in. In other words, make it a part of that tree so that this branch is a different branch, but it's getting the nutrients and supply out of the trunk. And what, what he is saying here is you are Gentile. You are not part of the original trunk. The spiritual heritage and the promise that was given to Abraham. But since they rejected him, you see those that are broke off? The original uh, people of Israel, the, those that rejected Christ, because they rejected God, grafted you in. And because of their rejection, you get in. I am not of the nation of Israel. I was not part of the covenant. I was not part of the spiritual promise. But because of what happened, God has included me. So I can say, Abraham is my spiritual father. Say amen. Isn't that cool? It gets better. Watch this. This is, I'm sorry, this jacks me up. I can't help it. This is a symbol of the nation of Israel. Please keep in mind, please keep in mind that Paul was not discussing the relationship of individual believers to God, but the place of Israel in the plan of God, okay? The place of Israel in the plan of God. The roots of the tree support the tree. Again, this was a this was symbol of the patriarchs who founded the nation, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God made his covenant. And by the way, we was going to have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but we run out of room, all right? So they're there, all right? Uh, uh, that, this is a type of, of, of the patriarchs who founded the nation. God made his covenants with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he cannot deny them or change them. Thus, it is God's promise to Abraham that sustains Israel even today. Many of the Jewish people did not believe, and Paul pictured them as branches broken off the tree. Where do we get that? Look in verse number 17. And if... Help me. And if some, some, who were those? Those were those that did not believe. If some of the branches were broken off, and this is where we picture them, they're broken off, all right? If some of them were broken off, Paul pictures them, the unbelievers, all right? Uh, 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 I lost my place.
Okay, but I'm, I'm in my notes. It's hard to find verse 17 there. All right, here we go, here we go. I found it. Many of the Jewish people did not believe. Paul pictured them as branches broken off the tree, but he saw an amazing thing taking place. Other branches were grafted into the tree to share in the life of the tree. These branches were the who? The Gentiles. In Romans 3.24, Paul described this grafting is as contrary to nature. Usually, a cultivated branch is grafted into a wild tree and shares its life without producing its poor fruit. In other words, in other words, farmers, they would not take the bad, they would not take the bad and put it in the good. They would take a good and put it in an old old sorry tree that's not producing any fruit, but it had a good trunk. Are y'all with me? And he's trying to illustrate this because he knew the Gentiles would get arrogant. We would get arrogant. We'd think we're somebody. Hey, we're grafted in. He said, yeah, but you need to understand something. Stay with that thought. Stay with that thought. Usually a cultivated branch is grafted into a wild tree and shares its life without producing its poor fruit. But in this case, it was the wild branch. Who are they? The Gentiles. They was grafted into the good tree. Jesus said salvation is of the Jews. Paul warned the Gentiles that they were obligated to Israel and therefore they dared not boast of their new spiritual position. No matter how far Israel may stray from the truth of God, the roots are still good. God is still the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He will keep his promises to these patriarchs. This means that the olive tree will flourish again. Amen. Now where do we see that? Watch this. Boast not, he says, boast not against the branches. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. In other words, you're not helping the, the root. The root is what's blessing you. All right? He says, thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. He says, well, because of unbelief they were broken off. And thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. Don't get arrogant, he says. Don't think that you're somebody. Don't think that, that God did it because you are a good person. The reason they were cut off is because of unbelief. Okay? Now, we're blessed because of the nation of Israel. What does that mean? We have an obligation to the nation of Israel. Do you realize every born-again child of God should pray every day of their life for the peace of Israel? For the peace of Jerusalem. We should be praying that God would protect the Jewish people. We should be praying that God would save the Jewish people. Why? We have an obligation to them. It was from them that we have our scriptures. It was from them that we have our Savior. It was from them that we have our salvation. Paul is saying, don't get arrogant. You need to be obligated to the Jewish nation. Amen. For if God spared not the natural branches, verse 21... If God spare not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. On them which fail, severity, but toward thee, goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. In other words, if this group done what this group did, this group would be cut off too. What does that mean? We're not saved because we're Gentiles. Just simply because God turned the program from primarily to the Jews to now the Gentiles. 
We're saved by our faith. And he says if you become unbelieving or if the Gentiles are an unbelieving group, they're going to be cut off too. It's by faith. By faith. Now, there's there's something I want you to get to. Verse 22. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. That is a big problem in the church today. So many churches are so unbalanced, they're either one way or the other. They're either so far over here that all they talk about is the goodness of God. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I ain't got to say the name, you know what I'm talking about. That's all they talk about. That's all they talk about. That's all they talk about. And they say, is there anything wrong with talking about the goodness? No, it's not anything wrong with talking about the goodness of God. But if all you talk about is God's love and you don't talk about God's justice and judgment, you're not giving the whole gospel. And you're robbing your people of the truth of God because God is love, but he is righteous and holy too. And then you got people on his other hand, it's all the meanness and and they got this idea, man, most of their congregation think God's up there with a lightning bolt waiting for you to sneeze wrong. How many of y'all know I'm telling the truth? We need a, we need a balance. We need, to, we need to tell people how good God is and how loving God is and how merciful God is. But we need to tell them about righteousness and holiness and purity. And God will, whom he loveth, he chasteneth. And God will save you from sin. And God will beat your britches if you get away from him. It all goes together. Paul is trying to get them to understand there's two sides of this deal. And you need to, get, you need to understand both of them. You see the the severity of God. God cut them off because of unbelief. But then you see the goodness of God. God grafted people in that didn't deserve it. Amen. He says in verse number 23, And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. In other words, if this group decides, hey, we're going to believe. Y'all with me? Hallelujah. For if thou wert cut off, verse 24, for if thou wert cut off of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and wert grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these be which, excuse me, which be the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? In other words, how much more will God put them back where they belong when they simply believe? And he's talking, about, he's talking about their restoration during the tribulation period. When he comes back, when he comes back in glory, and he sets up his kingdom, they're going to believe in him, they're going to look at him, and they're going to weep and mourn because they know who he is now, and they believe who he is. And he says this, they're going to be put right back where they rightfully belong. Amen? That's what it's talking about. Verse 26. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away unto godliness or ungodliness from Jacob. Now let's look at the realization real quick because I've really run out of time. I got seven minutes. We can do it. How many of y'all believe we can do it? All right, here's a realization. It starts in verse 25. The realization. Now we're talking about the restoration of Israel. They have been set aside because of their rejection. 
their unbelief. They would not believe that Jesus was who he said he was. So God, in his plan, in his divine plan, has set them aside, and he's taken the gospel, the good news of salvation and faith, and he's presenting it to the Gentiles, and he has grafted the Gentiles into the spiritual heritage of faith and belief and righteousness of Father Abraham, and they're taking and they're receiving the blessings, the spiritual blessings of the promises of God. Now, here's some things we need to understand about the restoration of Israel. All right, they have been set aside what? What's the word? Temporarily. Amen. They have been set aside. Here's the thing I want you to get. First, A, write this down. We've got to realize this. Verse 25, we need to realize there needs to be a realization of God's timing. Write that down. There needs to be a realization of God's timing. What has happened to Israel is all a part of God's plan. He knows what he's doing. The blinding of Israel as a nation is neither total nor final. It is partial and temporary. In other words, not not all the Jews are unbelievers. There are many, 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 many Jewish people that believe in the Messiah. They believe in Jesus Christ. They believe in the Son of God. Say amen. Their refusal and their denial is not complete. In other words, it's only partial and it's only temporary. Say those two things with me. It's only and it's only. Did y'all notice that, that we left a few branches with some leaves on it? That's what that represents. Because they did not all reject him. There were thousands on the day of Pentecost that believed. Amen? So the, the ultimate rejection from of the nation of Israel, of the Messiah, was partial and temporary. All right? How long will it last? How long will it last? Until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Look at verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part, in part, is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. All right, what does that mean? What does that mean? Today, God, in his grace, is visiting the Gentiles and taking out a people for his name. Individual Jews are being saved, of course, but this present age is primarily a time when God is visiting the Gentiles and building his church. When this present age has run its course and the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, then God will once more deal with the nation of Israel. I believe that this will end at the rapture of the church. I believe when the last person gets saved, I believe when the last person believes in Jesus Christ, I believe when that one person, whoever that is, whoever God's waiting on, when they accept Christ as their personal Savior and that trumpet sounds, listen, and Jesus comes in the air to take us home, I believe that ends the time of the Gentiles. The church has been made up, and then we have the tribulation period begin where God is going to be bringing back the nation of Israel. All right? He will once again deal with the nation of Israel. So we see God's timing in verse number 25. Verse number 26, what's it say? And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Verse uh, 26 represents this, God's promise. Write that down. We see a realization of God's timing in verse 25, and a realization of God's promise in verse 26. 
the reference here is Isaiah 59. And I would encourage you to go read them too. Isaiah 59 and Isaiah 60. All right? Uh, this reference is God's promise to save his people. And he will keep his promise. There are those who interpret this as meaning salvation to all individuals through the gospel. But it is my belief that the prophet has national conversion in mind. All Israel shall be saved does not mean that every Jew who has ever lived will be converted, but that the Jews living when the Redeemer returns will see him, receive him, and be saved. That's in Zechariah 12, 13. Now, there are some people that do believe, uh, and I've heard, it, I've heard it on TV preach this, that, that, that every Jew that's ever been born will be delivered and God's going to save all of them, even if they died in unbelief. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I believe it's, it's in reference to all of the Jews that are alive at that point, at the return of Christ. Listen, they're going to see him. They're going to believe who he, he was, who he said he was, and they're going to receive him as their Messiah and their Savior. All right? Then verse 27 and 28. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. And he says, right now, he says, they don't like you. And they're your enemy. They hate the gospel because they don't believe in the gospel. But they're still God's, the apple of God's eye. Look, we see not only the realization of God's timing in verse 25, the realization of God's promise in verse 26, but then we see the realization of God's covenant in verse 27 and 28. This, of course, is a continuation of the quotation from Isaiah 59. But the emphasis is on the covenant of God with Israel. God chose Israel in his grace and not because of any merit of her. The Jewish people are enemies to the believing Gentiles because of their hostile attitude toward the gospel. But to God, excuse me, the, but to God, the Jewish people are beloved for the Father's sake. God will not break his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Verse 29. Verse 29. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Then we see the realization of God's nature. God's nature, just who he is. He says, I am the Lord, I change not, in Malachi 3.6. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent, Numbers 23.19. God's gifts to Israel and God's calling of Israel cannot be taken back or changed, or God will cease to be true to his own perfect nature. The fact that Israel may not enjoy her gifts or live up to her privileges as an elect nation does not affect this fact one bit. God will be consistent with himself and true to his word no matter what men may do. Aren't you glad of that? I'm glad when God said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, he meant what he said. Amen? Then in verse 30 and 32. For as ye in time past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, now Paul's speaking back to the Gentiles, even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. Now what does that mean? Now we're looking at God's grace, the realization of God's grace. Because of the unbelief of the Jews, you Gentiles were saved, is what Paul is saying. Now may it be that through your salvation, Israel will come to know Christ. Because you remember, he says, I want to provoke them to jealousy by what I'm doing with you. Note that Paul repeatedly reminded the saved Gentiles that they had a spiritual obligation to Israel to provoke them to jealousy. Israel's hardness is only in part which means that individual Jews can be saved. 
God has included everybody in unbelief, Jews and Gentiles, so that all might have the opportunity to be saved by grace. There is no difference. Amen. Then lastly, we see God's wisdom. God's wisdom. It says in verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. In other words, man, don't God know what he's doing? How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath at first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, say it with me, for of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Having contemplated, Paul just gets worshipy on us. Amen. He just gets in the spirit. Having contemplated God's great plan of salvation for the Jews and Gentiles, all Paul could do was sing a hymn of praise. Only a God as wise as our God could take the fall of Israel, turn it into the salvation of the whole world. His plan will not be aborted, nor will his purposes lack fulfillment. No human being can fully know the mind of the Lord, and the more we study his ways, the more we offer him praise. Are we to conclude that God does not know what he's doing and that the nation of Israel completely ruined his plans? Of course not. God is too wise to make plans that will not be fulfilled. Israel did not allow him to rule, so he overruled. Paul declared there is a future for Israel. When Israel recovers from her fall, and enters into her fullness, the world will experience the riches of God's grace as never before. In other words, you ain't seen nothing yet. When Jesus Christ returns and sits on David's throne to reign over his kingdom, then Israel will be reconciled and received, and it will be like a resurrection. One day, Jesus is coming back. And when he returns... They're going to believe who he said he was. And they're going to be grafted back in to the spiritual blessings of the promises of God. Jesus is going to come rule and reign. King of the earth and Jerusalem will be the capital of the world. What a day that's going to be. Amen? Hallelujah. I'm glad God's promises will always be fulfilled. And through somebody's fall, God can turn it around to be a blessing to all the world. Are y'all getting that? Do y'all see what a blessing that is? God can take the worst mess up and cause it to be the greatest blessing. What a God we serve. Let's all stand. Everybody stand to your feet. We're going to be dismissed. And uh, I don't think anybody has to go to any certain place. I don't reckon because they ain't waving or pointing or nothing. I think everybody knows where to pick the youngins up. Amen. All right. That means we can dismiss. Is there any special thing I need to say, Brother Dustin? All right, now remember, next week, next week, we are going to be out back. We're going to be out back. That's right, isn't it? Isn't it next Wednesday? We're going to be out back, and we need everybody that will can help us out, bring a car with a trunk full of candy. Say amen. We want to do everything we can to, to, to keep kids safe, to keep them off the street, and to keep uh, freaks. There's freaks out there, y'all. I mean, there's some crazy people out there that want to do everything they can to get your children and my children, the community's children, and if we can offer something to help them stay out of that, that'll be a great blessing. So it, we're, we're going to be out there. So come, bring your, bring your trunk, open it up, and hope there's a good bunch of candy in it. If not, put some damn pudding in it. Amen? I'll be the first trick-or-treater. Amen. All right. All right. Hey, let's pray. Let's pray for Hey, don't forget now. Don't forget. What's, what's Sunday? Oh, help us, Lord Jesus.
What Sunday? All right. Listen, pick up, pick up. We, 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 uh, we purchased 6,500, 6,500 invitations, and we have 500 left. That means 6,000 invitations got out to this community. So let's give God a hand right there. Amen? And I will say this. I will say this. Two little people. Two little people. Uh, Tucker Brack and John Davis. Little people. Went by the table when no one was looking and grabbed some. Took it to school and their parents knew nothing about it and handed it out. Tucker Brack. And John Davis had two families, a family, their two buddies came and their family came to church last Sunday because of them invites. Amen. Now, you know what that tells me? If they can do it, all right. So, hey, it's going to be great, man. We're preaching, we're preaching Sunday on what a friend we have in Jesus. Amen. It's going to be good. So invite everybody you can be praying about it. Here's what I need you to pray. Pray for the anointing of God. Pray for the anointing of God because the devil's going to try to mess it up because there's going to be people get saved Sunday. I really believe that. And let's pray for the anointing of God. Amen? Well, let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we get in. Thank you so much that we have been grafted into the spiritual blessings of Abraham. God, we experience the promises of God and salvation. And I'm glad that, Lord, our failures will not mess up your plans. I pray your will be done. Bless everybody as they go home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good night, everybody.